So, any, any, oh, any, any questions? Mm. Mm. Uh, Very good question. Um, let's just see how long it lasts. <laughs> I mean, that's all uh, reading. It's not 100 years, it's only 50 since Nixon cut the last chop of the leg. Gold mm. was in the system 40. isolated, but. Uh, 40. 40? There's my math for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know how many years, but it's not 100, I can tell that much. No, but that's not the case because every time it became a problem, they just changed the gold rule, you know? So as soon as they got off it, I think you can argue that it would have failed in fashion in 2008 um, because you know when you when you issue um, when you issue paper with no intention of ever repaying it um, and you base your the deposit system of the financial system on that paper um, it, in 2008, that would have all come crashing down. So anyone that had a deposit with any bank would have seen that deposit written down to zero. Um, the Royal Bank of Scotland was 30 minutes away from having all cash machines shut down um, during the crisis before the Bank of England um, came in. So I think that you know, if the governments didn't do what they did and just allowed the system to do what it would have done, it would have been, it would have been the end. You know. As soon as you walk, walk away from gold and you have these other uh, other systems, <coughs> then even if we're stuck with gold in the standard, you, you you would still run that same risk. You? you would still run that same risk. You know, because um, in the example I gave, you know, the the, the villager made a mistake, mm -hmm. uh, but you can. You can limit the extent to the, 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 that the damage that that mistake would inflict on the rest of the system. Though um, <coughs> nothing, nothing is perfect. No, nothing is perfect because this, this. I didn't explain this picture here. You got the gold, the gold sovereign. You got the thing which is closest to the gold, which is the bill, and you've got clothes, detergents. Um, fruit, uh, canned goods here, and then you've got jet planes, houses, motor cars, um, ships and boats there, and then on the very highest you've got spacecraft, uh, stadia, uh, chemical plants, you know, things which take a lot longer to build, you know. People make mistakes when they undertake these enterprises, you know. Um, so there, there's an element of responsibility from both people, obviously, the borrower and the lender, um, I think.
And I would, you could certainly argue that, that you said, well, it all would have come down in 2008. Mm. That's presupposing that 2008 <clears throat> would have actually occurred. Because if it was up gold standard, then if it had kept, been kept the way the gold standard is supposed to be kept... Yeah, it would never have got there in the first place. No. Yeah. You know, you would be paying... In 2008, assuming we still have this system, and for some perverse reason it still keeps on expanding, you would be you'd be paying 15%, you know, for, for anything, to borrow money for anything. And if you can find productive endeavour, like a lot of people don't realise, but call rates during the 20s uh, for margin loans went up massively. You know, you were paying about 13, 14% just before the, uh, the 29 crash. So some similar form of self-correcting mechanism would have happened way before 2008 would have been allowed to uh, happen, I think. I, re I really liked your uh, expose. Um, <laughs> And again, I guess it's a, it's a feature of Mangarian economics or what the new Austrian school of economics uh, advocates or, or teaches that the, it's the individuals that are responsible mm. for their own actions as opposed to in, in your village, you know, uh, representation of planet Earth. Mm. There's no central bank. Yeah. You know? There's no central authority that dictates what the interest rates should be or mm. this and that and the other. And you make a mistake, you, you go bankrupt or you don't get paid back or whatever. So um, is that is that essentially what the the essence of the problem is today? That it's um, you know, we can say that we don't have sound money because we're not on a gold standard, mm. of course. But we could also say, couldn't we? Yeah. That we could, we could, you know, not be on a gold standard and just not have such... Is that right? Not have... Okay. The way I say it is, what's the point in wearing a white shirt if you've got a dirty body? You know, I mean, uh, there's no point in going back to a gold standard if banks are still borrowing short to lend long because you'll go into some kind of crisis and they'll blame it on the gold standard again you know when it has it, it has nothing to do nothing to do with the gold standard yeah which is which brings the question to mind which is what would it what would need to happen with our current financial system first before we can go back to a, a, a proper gold standard mm. My, my understanding, limited understanding of this, is that um, um, debts have to be settled somehow beforehand. Is that is that the case, or what needs to happen, Professor, um, before we can conceptually? I mean, you can't just go back to a gold standard. That there's there's too much unsettled promises. And there is this uh, <coughs> resistance to say it, uh, to say the least, to a gold standard on the part of special interest groups, 
were vested interest in maintaining the uh, regime of uh, irredeemable paper currency. So uh, I'm going to say more about that in the future lectures while uh, during this symposium. But let's say right now that my thinking has changed quite considerably during the past year or two because I was one of those categorical theories to say either gold standard or nothing. I don't see it that way anymore. I see a possibility of gold coins and paper money, banknotes, irredeemable banknotes can be made to compete. And I think mostly everybody in this room would agree that gold coins would win hands down. I mean, if you have a choice of accepting payments in irredeemable promises, which essentially a paper banknote is, it promises to pay you nothing. By custom, people still accept it in trade, so you can buy goods and services. But basically, there's no contract behind because it doesn't the banknote does not promise you anything and the issuing authority does not hold any reserves against that except for another promise but things could be so bad that all promises will be worthless all of them government and the next neighborhood uh, grocery store no difference. People, when it comes to running for their life, they, they are not going to be impressed by so-called lenders of last resort and such uh, dubious contract, contract. So, why don't we change our strategy and force the issuers of irredeemable paper to compete with gold in an open market. So that means you have to bring gold coins out of hiding, and that's a big problem. But I think it can be handled. And the way to handle it is I am advocating this slogan, open the mint to gold. This means that the uh, for example, in the United States, by, constitu by constitutional obligation, the government has to maintain a mint and keep it open to gold, which means it's the people who decide how much gold coins will go into circulation, because if not enough does, then they could... Uh, melt down old jewelry or take newly mined gold to the mint and have it converted into coins. 
So it's not the bankers, neither are they elected officials, but it's the people themselves. If they think there's too little money, they take gold to the mint and convert it into gold coins of the realm. So, and there's an incentive, because throughout most of history, The coined gold had a slight premium in the order of two, three, four, five percent over gold in bullion form. So people who have bullion can help themselves to a capital gain in the order of a couple of percent, not much, but that's highly liquid. You see, that's the important thing. Gold as an asset is not just an asset which has to compete in the marketplace with all the other assets, but gold is a unique thing, the most liquid form of wealth. So if you increase your liquid wealth by 2%, it means <coughs> far more than increasing your total wealth by 2 or the same percentage. Because you don't have the problem of liquidating your asset. Any other form of asset, if you want to avail yourself to it, you have to sell it first. And that could be a big problem because illiquidity means either a relatively high loss, which you take when you sell, or it would take an inordinate length of time. And by the time you sell, your new business opportunity has disappeared. So I want to warn those of you who might just say that, well, oh, two, three percent, why would people go to the trouble and take their gold to the mint and take the coins back. It's not worth it. And the answer is yes it is. If you are in business and you want to cut your losses to the bare minimum, then you would do it. So if the government opens the mint to gold, there will be a flow of gold. Gold will be attracted from around the world really and they will find, or trying to find, a coin form. So in answer to your question, I would suggest that this is a big, big threshold to go from paper money to gold. But my own thinking, and I'm still mulling <laughs> it over in my mind, that this should not be thought of a, as a discontinuous jump, but rather a smooth transition. And we are sup supremely confident that our instrument, the gold coin and silver coin, would prevail. And let those central bankers who issue paper money be put on notice that 
it's not a free ride for them anymore. Yes, I mean, Professor, what's the likelihood of that happening? I mean, <laughs> they're not, they're not, you know, <laughs> they know gold is the enemy. Well, I'm sure the government of New Zealand, if we found the proper channels to it, would perhaps consider and open the mint to gold because they have the right uh, right approach and the right uh, ideological background. But of course if a, a big country like China would do it, or somehow you could persuade the government of the United States that do it now because next day it will be China and then you lose your monetary leadership in the world forever, which is the way things are. The United States is at the verge of losing all, whatever monetary leadership it could build up in 200 years or longer would lose in one day if China said we are going to monetize silver, open them into silver, or open them into gold, or open them into both would be a devastating defeat for the United States government. The trouble is that the media is not saying anything remotely appro approximating this. And if I put on a paper on the internet, <laughs> nobody in the US government will ever read it. I, I agree that if um somebody has a choice of accepting gold or accepting paper, they want gold. The question is, Gresham's Law says, the person, who has a the person who's paying, if he has a choice between paying in paper or paying in gold, doesn't he usually choose to pay in paper? How do you get the, um, the, the payer to, to want to pay in gold? Or is there an industry or a particular uh, business that has the pricing power to say, pay in gold or go away. Mm. Well, well, it's a... It's even, a even if it wasn't a legal tender law. If it wasn't a legal tender law, it would be easy. If I had a business, I would say gold only. Yeah. You do have a business, yeah. and you haven't said that. Can't no, uh, <laughs> I'm not at that stage yet. We're all participants in the system. Yeah. If we want customers, we have to meet where the customer wants to be. Mm. If the customer wants to pay in paper, it's very difficult to say you will pay me in gold. Mm. Well, it, it's, it, it's it sounds like it's a also illegal, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. That's what the legal tender law means. It would be illegal to insist on being paid only in gold at the moment because the legal tender laws. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think so. By the way, uh, you read in various history books of monetary history that gold had legal tender protection just as much as paper money. But this is not true. Nobody has ever refused to be paid in gold if he was willing to. You know, in other words... But, but the point is, would, uh, people may refuse to pay in gold, not to no, be paid in gold. I, I think it sounds like a valid question. But I think, it, in, in fact, it's more complicated than that. If you run a system where you have to make periodic payments, 
then you have to have an inventory of uh, the medium of payment, what represents purchasing power. And you are going to use it to pay wages, for instance, or to pay your suppliers. You, you don't create the money out of nothing on the, at the moment when you have to make the payment. You just have to have, if it's not banks, then your own treasure or other industries will spring up to provide for that need. And that is where gold will show its advantage. Because if you have an inventory of medium of payment, which you keep on hand because you, your payroll is coming up and you have to pay wages, or your suppliers' bills will come due and you have to pay them. Then, the, that's the real question to ask. Is it to your advantage as an entrepreneur to carry an inventory of, of uh, means of exchange in the form of paper money, or is it in gold? And I think here it's easier to see that gold has tremendous advantage. Because in comparison with any paper currency, foreign exchange, or what have you, Gold has a stable value, and the uh, paper instruments fluctuate. Now, you don't want to carry your uh, purchasing power in a fluctuating media, or even if you have future markets to compensate or hedge, or what have you. This is not the same. Gold has a natural stability of value. And therefore, you are always in the best position to raise whatever purchasing media you want to use. I mean, your question is justified because it could be that you as an industrialist or as an entrepreneur prefer to pay wages in <coughs> paper money. However, this doesn't mean that your inventory is kept in paper money. This is the distinction which we have to make. Because I, th I think I can make a very good case that the best, well, let's, let's put it this way. We use the word hedging. Okay, you have wages, payroll to come up, which you have to pay. And uh, you decided, and the labor unions agreed to it, that you paid them in paper money. So this is a liability coming up. Not an immediate liability, but a future liability. So you want to hedge that liability. Would you hedge it using another or the same paper currency? I would say if you studied the question, uh, on its own merit, you will see that hedging in gold inventory or some kind of instrument which matures in gold will be the proper hedge. Hedging paper with paper is, is, um, is a foolish idea. 
That, that's what I could uh, mention. Perhaps uh, there are some other opinions. You know, recently the Mexican drug cartel was busted. They kept their wealth in um, US dollars instead of gold. Doesn't that show Gresham's law? Drug cartels don't comply with the legal tender law, but they would rather keep their wealth in US dollars, stacks and stacks of it. In the, in the so, drug cartels, what, because they, they keep their balances in U.S. dollars, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know? Um, for now, for most people, they don't actually know the value of gold. If you go to the common people, they don't. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I'd agree. They don't know the merits of it. So, if we were to go to a competing currency, it would take a few years for people to get used to it, right? Because Very true. My generation have absolutely no idea what gold is. I agree with them. I agree. Philip? I, I could just make a comment on that, uh, which is that um, I lived in South America, in Colombia, for a while, and I always keep up the info there because it interests me. I really like that part of the world. And um, <clears throat> that's actually not true now. Not so true now. It's still very liquid. They used to keep houseloads of cash. They are moving more and more into gold now. Uh, not just in Colombia, coming north to Mexico, we start going to the south as well, down to Paraguay. It's more and more gold, less and less US dollars. So there isn't a way of receiving in that area. In fact, in Colombia, apparently, it's incredible. Okay. And, well, can I just add to that? There's an interesting case where, uh, for, for quite a number of years, growing the cocoa has been a very significant income for some of these farmers. They've actually found gold up in the hills. And they've started to mine that gold, and they're getting a higher reward than they were from the cocoa world. <laughs> they know very well with every but on these are simple pieces of the mine gold will be to generate an income, whereas to store your mining gold yeah. will be to recognize gold value instead of the US dollar will be different. Yes. I think you find that going hand in glove. They're not only in Colombia as well, they're very heavily moving into gold mining. Last few days, <coughs> but they are also storing now wealth in gold, okay. not just uh, probably US dollars as well. I'm not that close to you. He's talking to silver miners to store their wealth in form of silver. But this, this idea is spreading more and more. And, and really, one thing about this buying and selling. It's when the buyer absolutely positively must have what he wants at any cost that they will buy with gold. For example, if the Americans need oil and they can't buy it with paper and they can't nuke them, then they're going to have to buy it with gold. But somebody has to say no gold, no oil or something. Mm -hmm. well, whenever that's attempted, uh, yeah. the country's invaded. That's the yeah. history so far of yeah. Gaddafi, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's not going to be easy. <laughs> Any more questions? Yeah, just want to make a comment. A professor was saying about uh, actually legally a lot of people can pay in gold. Actually, in Malaysia, is uh, when somebody, let's say, they want to pay in gold coin, the central bank didn't take action. They actually just say, oh, it's just buttering. You know, I, mm -hmm. you want to buy something in exchange for gold coin, they're buttering. So the, they didn't actually take action to stop the thing. Mm -hmm. They consider it as a 
contract between you and me. Mm. I'm you're selling me a car and giving you a car. Mm. Okay. Give me a chicken, I'll give you a duck. Mm. <laughs> Something like that. So, I don't know about other countries. Some U.S. states have passed legal tender laws within the state that silver or gold are legal tender in that state, like Utah, for example. Yeah. And this is spreading out. So, there's a lot of uh, pressure from the, the war. And, and I don't know if you heard, the American Sheriff's Association is starting to resist the federal invasion into their territory because sheriffs in the U.S. are elected and federalities are not elected. Uh -huh. So, there's, there's a lot of boiling steam under this lid. And like the um, California legal uh, marijuana laws that as a medicinal stuff, you're allowed to smoke it and so on. But the federals are raiding these places regardless, mm. breaking California law. Mm. And now the California legislature is saying, wait a minute, you're breaking our laws. This is something that's gotta, something's gotta happen. Well, there's also the interesting scenario, I, I think it's in New Mexico where there's a gas station there and says one, is it one dime or one nickel for a gallon of gas. Mm. One silver dime. Yeah, and, mm. and the kicker on that is it's got to be pre-1965. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, somebody was uh, saying to me, well, you know, you can pay in um, cash or gold. I'd say, okay, what's the discount for gold? Exactly. Um, I think I might uh, offer some kind of uh, discount for gold uh, for my uh, gold basis service. Many of you are subscribers here. <laughs> uh, we'll figure out how you get the gold to me later on. I'll store it for you in the U.S. Give me away. But don't worry, I don't, I don't print too many of those. <laughs> Any more questions? Yeah, just, uh, uh, you use a term high order money in the lectures. Uh, mm. th those things in a modern term, does it include those uh, derivative like uh, CDO and MBS? No, no, no. no. Um, a professor and I had a bit of a discussion on the plane about what you call higher order money because um, it's a bit of a misnomer, you know, because there's nothing. It has monetary characteristics, but it's not money. Uh, but you have to have an air of, um, not just an air, but you have to be honest in your dealings. Uh, you have to be an honest individual for that piece of paper to retain its value. So in a sense, it is a higher order form of money. Because if you just find a lump of gold on the ground, that's it. You've found money. But if you find a, a chit on the ground, it, it, it only has value if the parties to either side of it are still existent, still conversant, you know, still willing to, you know, liquidate the liability at the end of the day. Um, but M1, M2, M3, that is meant to be the representation of, uh, of this, you know. Um, I recommended uh, using the term marketability of monetary instruments because definitely the instruments you are talking about is not money, but it has some characteristics of money. And if you want to be able to compare different 
types of monetary instruments which takes into consideration not only the maturity, obviously, shorter, the shorter the maturity, better the monetary instrument is. But there are other qualities of uh, monetary qualities which a monetary instrument may or may not have. Then you in introduce the term the marketability of the monetary instrument. And this is straight from Manger because the marketability is measured by spread. Each of these monetary instruments have a market. If they don't have a market, they don't have value either. But let's assume that they do have value and therefore they do have a market and the market will quote not one price but two prices the asked price and the bid price so there is a spread this is known as the bid ask spread now question what is the higher quality of instrument the one for which the spread is wide or the one for which the spread is smaller which small. Small. small is the greater marketability. And you can refine this further because don't think of the spread as being monolithic either. The price is not monolithic because the spread is the better indicator. But really it's a function because obviously if you uh, uh, trade in very large quantities, the spread is going to widen. So what are we talking about? Well, we are comparing the variation of the spread. We agree that all spreads for the various monetary instruments will get wider if we trade larger and larger quantities. But then you can compare the rate at which the spread widens for monetary instrument A and then you measure the same thing for monetary instrument B. So whichever spread widens at the lower rate will have the higher uh, marketability and therefore you would call it uh, what is your term? Higher order money. High, high higher uh, degree money. Uh, higher order. Higher order money. Yeah, I, I have a little bit of quarrel with this higher order because higher order means really <laughs> less marketability. And normally you would prefer the higher marketability. So that's just a little remark I want to put across that. Menger's idea of marketability straight from his concept of spread is going to answer that question too. But you know, language is so important. The terms that are used. I mean, it's not for. Uh, it's not a coincidence they call it higher order money. It's part of the deception. <laughs> it's, you know. I I was no wondering. 
There's no coincidence. I was wondering myself. <laughs> I mean, one would expect that spreads up here would be wider than the yes. spreads, you know, down here. But then this instrument up here actually makes a journey. It goes from here to here to here and then eventually to here. You know, so the spread of that instrument would change as its maturity. Um, you have to think of this as like a convection current with gold heating it at the bottom. In a proper system. Yes. Yeah, in a proper system. Yes. The system we have now. Well, I can say is that if some, the way, the way that you should view it is, if an alien is 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 observing planet Earth and looking at the monetary system, the alien should say, "God, what the hell are the people like behind it?" Then, you know, because that that will be, and you see all kinds of disgusting characters in finance, you know, um, like the Rothschilds, you know, and uh, people like that. So, well, you could criticise the Rothschild, but you could also argue if it wasn't for the Rothschilds, then the British wouldn't have had the gold to back Wellington. It would never have defeated Napoleon, and we would all be speaking French. It's a Nepal problem. Depends on your um, just perspective, I think. Absolutely. At least we have elections. But one point you made in, in your lecture, um, Sandy, was that the, there is no intention to pay. Mm -hmm. And that is the problem today. And it amazes me every time I present to investment professionals and I have a slide about the U.S. debt and I point out that not a single dollar has been redeemed since 1961. They all look bemused. Huh? Really? Because it's just, you know, a new bond is issued and they just service the debt. Even that is becoming questionable. But, you know, when what is at the very base of portfolio construction out there as the risk-free investment, mm -hmm. the, the U.S. Treasury, yeah. well, they've never been paid back for 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> and they have to borrow money to pay right, interest. Exactly, and they're quite happy to still fund the, I won't say it, uh, those guys uh, for 2% in 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's really, really quite mind-boggling, and I couldn't help but think of that when Professor Yu said that 2% is quite significant when you don't want to lose anything. You when the marketability one, is low, the 2% is worth more than if the marketability is high. And, and this is precisely what's going on and why people are quite, well, not free markets, but, you know, U.S. Treasuries are still bought for mm -hmm. less than 2% today. It's... And uh, I, I would be one who would say just be very very careful because there is a lot of vitality in the US dollar still because of that misconception don't underestimate I mean the facts 
and figures give you a very sorry picture for the US dollar. But when you take human psychology and factor it in, picture changes. There is such a thing as inertia in financial markets. The US dollar has this inertia, partly because of the volume and partly because of the speed with which the US dollar balances circulate in the world. So those, you know, you read that on the internet, these uh, uh, websites predict the collapse of the US dollar in, in months, or some of them in weeks. Forget it, forget it. It's not like that. It doesn't work like, never did, never did. I mean, are those guys at the U U.S. Federal Reserve and U.S. Treasury really have to work very hard to try to beat down the val international value of the dollar with yes. sludge hammers. They and I, I don't believe that they are making the interest rate low. I think they want to raise it because low interest also suggests solidity of value, whereas high interest increasing in loss of value. They would like to see interest rates somewhat higher. And they know they cannot find unit, but the feature of falling interest rates is built into the system. It is owing to a large part to bond speculators who work ways out to make their bond speculation risk-free. They are primary buyers of the bonds as it is issued and they know how to dump it and when to dump it in the lab into the lap of the Federal Reserve. So it's a risk-free profit. Now, when you are up against somebody who gambles risk-free, then you better stand aside because you have no chance. It's like you never sit down with uh, at a card game when you know that somebody some of your partners are full, are, are uh, crooks. Yeah, or or p playing with dice. If you know that some of the dice are loaded, you don't sit down and play dice. This is, and that's something similar to this one. These bond speculators, and some of them are banks. Some of them are. <coughs> Goldman Sachs or J.P. Morgan, you know, they <coughs> they know exactly what they are doing, and most people out there in the market they haven't have done the foggiest idea what they are doing. So it's going to be very messy and very difficult, very complicated. Not, not, don't take anything for granted, not even the weakness and the congenital disease of the U.S. dollar.
cannot be taken for granted. There's a lot of psychology going into it. Of course, at one point, it snaps. Confidence snaps. It's, it's somewhat elastic, but there is a point where it will break. And once this happens, all bets are taken off. But as long as the confidence is still there, and it obviously is, um, it's very dangerous to bet against the uh, dollar or treasury bonds. You know, interest rates are going to go up. It has to, has to, because of the fundamentals. Build big theories about it. Very dangerous to take a position on on these otherwise true statements. But when it comes to timing and comes to elasticity, it becomes very dangerous. Just to add one comment to that, the dollar is already up quite substantially over the past year. Against the euro? Against the euro, but on an in indexed basis against its major trading partner currencies as well. I think it's up about at least 6% on the dollar index, something, something of that order. So that has caught a lot of people, apart from my patrons, by surprise. And it's going to be nothing compared to what will happen next year mm -hmm. with the US dollar. Mm -hmm. Mark our words. You're on record. What, what do you mean by that sentence? The extent to which the US dollar will rise next year against the expectation of very many. And against paper currencies, not against gold. Yeah, against, against other paper currencies. Okay. So you're saying the drop in South America is going to rise, <coughs> the other drop significantly? Much more. So gold will stay pretty much? I think gold will actually increase in more so in non-dollar terms next year. We've been given the signal. <laughs> I think we should, we should break for yeah. lunch if we want to have a reasonable amount exactly. of time to, uh, to eat. And, and please join me in thanking Sandeep and Professor Fick.